You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Artificial intelligence still driving markets, Caro, but earnings front and centre. Yeah, let's get straight to it as the plunge is clear with Lyft after hours. The ride-sharing company falling after evidence it's losing share to Uber. A weak profit in sales outlook. And social media in the spotlight on Capitol Hill. But former Twitter executives are telling lawmakers to hold off on regulating online content. We'll bring you the why. Plus the latest details on Disney as activist investor Nelson Peltz stands down on his proxy fight. But is the battle over? All that and so much more coming up. We dig in first and foremost to those markets that once again swoon. The first two-day lows we've seen since December. The worst two-day sell-off, about 2.7% over the course of two days. The Nasdaq off by another percentage point on the day. We're worried as again on the macro, on the Federal Reserve, on interest rates going higher. That's why we see, well, overall concern, anxiety as evidence in the VIX. The volatility index picks up to a 20 handle. The 10-year yields of borrowing costs, they rise. No wonder stocks fall. Let's switch it on. Because I want to show also this worry about the canary in the coal mine that is, well, the retail investor, they're getting bullish. The first time we've seen that since April. Many say, uh-oh, we're now late to the party, Ed. Yeah, it's interesting. So many stories for individual stocks as well. Alphabet down another 4.4% this Thursday, a two-day drop, the biggest two-day drop since March as we continue to have worries about their barred AI search. Disney's so interesting. We're going to get into it later in the show, but it was up significantly, ending up lower 1.3%. We'll get into Iger's success story so far at the entertainment company. Global Foundries is inked to deal with GM to supply semiconductors to the automaker, boosting that stock up 3.5% and continued momentum in Tesla. But right now, it is all about earnings. Let's get straight to PayPal, actually giving a pretty tepid forecast in terms of uh, dollar value of bookings or transactions through their platform. But crucially, CEO Dan Shulman, he is going to step down and retire at year end. That is, we see sales growth slowing and lift. Oh, my goodness, down 25% in after hours. Really, what the market's seizing on is the fiscal first quarter forecast for EBITDA adjusted basis, 5 million to 15 million. The street was looking for a forecast of around 84 million. So that is a significant miss on expectations. Let's get more and bring in Rohit Kolkarni, an analyst at Roth MKM. Rohit, you have a hold rating on Lyft, $20 price target. What's your reaction to the numbers? Uh, this is this feels like a big reset quarter. One more reset quarter from uh, coming from Lyft. Uh, there is 
more evidence that they are probably losing market share to Uber. Um, they're uh, lagging on recovery from uh, West Coast exposure. And on top of it, there are uh, kind of execution issues that uh, they they have their own insurance uh, kind of uh, way of doing things, which, which is right. probably exacerbating how things are being reported here. Hey, Rohit, uh, Dara Khosrowshahi, the Uber CEO, told Bloomberg 24 hours ago that he thinks Uber's taking market share from Lyft. Mm -hmm. Do you see the numbers as evidence of that? Absolutely. Over the last three quarters, um, when we look at the mobility trends, what Uber is showing uh, on a sequential growth, um, although the, the disclosures across both companies are highly inconsistent, so it's not apples to apples, it's probably apples to pineapples. But having said that, I think uh, just the growth rate that these companies are putting up are diverging in a way that uh, they weren't uh, a while back. So I feel uh, Uber is definitely gaining market share and probably that share gain is accelerating as we speak. So what do you want to hear from Lyft's leadership right now, Rohit? Uh, I think um, the, the most important thing here is uh, what is the path to sustainable cash flow generation? Um, the, the company did put out a, a target with regards to how high of a cash flow generation that they can have. I feel given the, uh, given the guidance that they have of softer revenues and much softer EBITDA, I feel... Uh, um, they just need to provide some confidence to the investors that look, this is what, these are the steps we can take uh, to get to a point that we can generate incremental cash and then we can be um, investing in investing for growth. I feel that confidence is completely lost uh, after looking at the numbers today. Uh, yeah. There is definitely some noise and confusion, but I feel uh, that's what we need to hear. When that confidence is lost, do you have to change your rating? Do you have to change the whole position? Do you have to change the price target that is now well off that $20 you currently have at the moment? Um, again, uh, what I will say is uh, everybody on the street will uh, re re revisit uh, their financial models after uh, earnings. Uh, so we are in the process of doing that. Right. And, uh, and you'll hear from more from us. Rohit, we asked our audience on Twitter, does Lyft need to go outside of its existing lane, move into other areas to stay relevant? These are the conclusions. 57% of respondents saying no, stay in your lane. I ask you the same question. Does Lyft need to move into delivery? Um, that is going to be a very, very expensive uh, value proposition. Uh, right now, I think uh, staying in their own lane, um, focusing on mobility and focusing on uh, profitability. I think that's that's what is uh, uh, something that they need to uh, focus on even more. Um, that's uh, expanding into uh, lateral markets is just going to be more expensive. That is just going to push the cash flow generation point much more further down the road. And that's uh, going to be hurtful to the stock even more. Rohit, your industry colleague Tom White at DA Davidson told us 24 hours ago that the advantage Lyft has is its brand, its, its resonance with Gen Z. Can it leverage that to fight back against Uber? So far, we are finding very limited uh, evidence of uh, the fact that they are able to leverage that brand. Yes, there is definitely uh, a certain uh, cohort of the population that prefers uh, Lyft over Uber. But I think uh, at the end of the day, um, ride sharing has uh, has very limited amount of loyalty to some extent. Um, both companies are trying to build loyalty around uh, their subscription plans. but. Uh, 
it, it, this is a very, very price sensitive product. So I feel uh, regardless of uh, aff affinity with a certain cohort of consumers, uh, that affinity may not uh, linger if uh, the company has to change yeah. their value proposition, increase prices, and in this, at the same time, Uber is in improving their marketplace at a much more rapid clip. So um, yeah. they have market share to hold on to. Yeah, I mean, many, I mean, I include myself, I love using the Lyft bikes, but they need some investment here in New York. There's been a lot of hand-wringing about it. I'm interested, therefore, as we point ourselves forwards, do you feel frustrated with management that they didn't guide you to this sort of a slowdown earlier when you see such a share price hit? Um. It's it's hard to uh, uh, hard to have that level of visibility nowadays. Again, uh, there are a lot of macro factors, there are micro factors, industry trends that that make it even harder for management teams to um, to have that level of visibility under normal circumstances. This there is there is nothing called as normal from a um, from a visibility standpoint nowadays. There are uh, kind of driver trends. There is gas prices. There are. Uh, uh, reopening travel trends, just the externalities just complicate their lives. But uh, having said that, a little bit of consistency of or predictability in um, in fundamentals is, is something that any investor appreciates. Uh, it may be lower, but still that consistency is what uh, we are looking for. Well, we love your consistency on the show and coming on, giving your viewpoint ahead of reworking some of those models. We'll let you get back to it. Rohit Kalkani, we thank him of Roth MKM. China's spy balloons on board were antennae and solar panels, so the U.S. says it could collect U.S. electronic communications. In short, this is no ordinary weather research balloon, as China is trying to claim. Overall, the U.S. also thinks it's managed to identify which company makes these spy balloons and says they have direct relationships with the Chinese military. The Biden administration could therefore be forced to take yet further, harsher steps of U.S. technology exports to China. They don't want this sort of thing getting in the hands of the Chinese military and security agencies to be used against them. And in fact, the whole saga has completely consumed Washington and indeed the rest of the United States. We've just seen a resolution passed by Congress condemning the actions of China and saying that it was in brazen violation of the U.S. sovereignty. They want more information from the White House. Oh, and if, Ed, really tensions weren't enough between China and the U.S. already, particularly from a business perspective, right? Right. Yeah, I think what's so astonishing about the reporting is the U.S., making the case this is part of a program of espionage, alleged espionage. We cover tech on the show. We haven't quite gone there yet on the tech used for spying. Mm. And it's an astonishing picture they've painted about what's not just one isolated incident. Yeah, and as whether or not this was made in China technology, or whether it was Western made. And therein lies some of the tension that's just going to be, I'm sure, talked around and around again over in Capitol yeah. Hill and right here. All right, exactly so. And I want to stay with Washington, actually, for a second, the idea of oversight, the idea of lawmaking, because former Twitter officials testified on Wednesday and basically told lawmakers that they should hold off on regulating online content until they better understand how social media companies work, telling lawmakers, you don't quite get it yet. Let's bring in Kurt Wagner for more. I mean, is that the idea? They're saying, actually, you, the oversight bodies, yeah. should actually have a deeper understanding of how we actually work before you go jumping into to 
regulating. Yeah, and remember, we have been having this conversation for years now, right? We've been talking about it with Facebook, with YouTube, with Twitter. Uh, there is a big misunderstanding, I would say, uh, among lawmakers as to uh, you know what Section 230 um, does for companies, and and in some cases, sort of uh, the difference between that and the First Amendment, right? And and what companies are required by law to do and not. And so I think there's this feeling that everyone, Democrats and Republicans, are kind of rushing forward to change this. They think it's not working how it is and they all want to change it, but that they don't necessarily have a grasp on how it should be changed. Well, let's look at it from the company's perspective. You, you've been very busy for a year or so yes. covering Twitter, but you do cover social media broadly. How important is Section 230 from the company's perspective? Oh, it's, an, it's incredibly important. It's, it's probably the most important uh, kind of legal protection that they have, right? Because in general, what this means is that they can't be legally liable when some of their users post things, right? So long as they're taking down things like child pornography or, or terrorist content or other things, you know, they're not going to be legally held when, uh, you know, you, Ed, or, or me, Kurt, comes and says something that might get them into trouble. And so, um, you know, they've said that if these are, uh, protections are repealed, it'll actually be worse because they'll have to take down a lot more stuff to protect their own uh, back. Many of that, much of that is sort of looking at fact-checking, their own fact-checkers and how you protect that. Interestingly, over in Europe, Twitter's also caught the eye of the regulators because they're worried yep. that there's just not enough power in place, enough commitment to empowering fact-checkers there. They're worried about disinformation in particular, right? Yeah, well, Caroline, what's interesting is we're seeing this not just in the EU, but kind of in general, that regulators are really taking a tough look at Twitter because they've just lost so many people. There's a lot of skepticism that they can continue to do the kinds of things they need to do from a privacy or, in this case, fact-checking standpoint. As you mentioned in the EU, you know, a bunch of tech companies are supposed to hand over uh, sort of their plans for misinformation. Twitter's was uh, inadequate. And so, you know, again, there's a, there's a concern that because Elon came in and just fired so many people with institutional knowledge of the company, that they just are having enough troubles keeping the site up, they're not necessarily able to do the other things that the uh, regulators expect them to do. And I, I just want to take a bit of a pivot, Kurt, and it's an emotive subject. Turkey at the moment, the need mm -hmm. for social media, the need for sharing of information, but Twitter itself was down at one point. Can you talk us through anything you know on that front? Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot that is unknown, but the timing was, of course, terrible, right? We saw that Twitter was down uh, uh, earlier this week, right when a lot of the safety um, groups were trying to organize on Twitter, when it was being used for important and critical information sharing. You know, we saw Elon Musk, uh, you know, who's now running Twitter, of course, say that, um, you know, they got word from the government that that was going to be reinstated, and I, and I believe it has been. But again, the timing was terrible. Um, it's always bad when something like that happens, but in the wake of a, a natural disaster like that. Um, it just really, you know, put Twitter once again in the uh, limelight there. Well said, Kurt Wagner. We thank you so much for the latest in terms of the business, what it's facing. Let's talk about, well, the pressure from a regulatory perspective and perhaps the lack of investors now able to push for that too. Arjuna Capital is no, well, it's a real expert in this field, in fact. The managing partner and former Twitter activist investor joined us now, Natasha Lamb, for more on this. And, you know, you are, of course, deeply knowledgeable on when it was a publicly traded company and the pressure you could exert it no longer is and how difficult does that therefore mean in terms of making change and making sure that the right regulation and the right compliance is in place oh I, 
think, unfortunately, we've just frozen on Natasha. But let's talk about this, Ed, because I think where Arjuna Capital had found it was, I think she's back. Natasha, we can go to you. The fact that you no longer can exert pressure from a publicly traded and investor perspective. But what pressure can regulators now wield on something like Twitter? I mean, I think that's that's the crux of it, that, um, you know, despite the fact that investors for the last six years have been asking companies to clean up their act, um, have had some success in getting transparency, um, it's clear that the companies are not doing enough, Twitter is not doing enough, it's now private, and it brings up a host of concerns as to whom Twitter is accountable to other than Elon Musk. Um, so now with Twitter no longer a public company, no longer having that level of accountability to investors, it's gonna have to be accountable to regulators because you know time just go- keeps going by and nothing uh, nothing's happened. There is not um, a level of standard here that uh, is preventing some of the harm that's being done. And recently, you've seen action on a number of fronts. We saw President Biden call for bipartisan regulation of social media companies just like last night at the yes. State of the Union. Um, this month, it's expected Twitter will have to face the strictest content rules um, in the European Union because of the number of large uh, active users that it has. Um, and we're seeing cases go before the Supreme Court. Um, who's hearing cases this month on whether social media companies, Twitter being one of them, are responsible for propagating terrorist yes. content. Uh, Natasha, I'm delighted to have you on the programme. You've been coming on for a very long time and respectfully, I I feel a sense of deja vu. Um, My question (laughs) is, you know, when are these things that you're going, you're calling for going to happen? Um, I'm not sure what's changed now from, say, two or four years ago. I mean, I think it's a really fair question. And, you know, obviously investors were not able to exert enough pressure for the companies to clean up their act on their own. Um, and so regulation seems to be kind of the, the last ditch effort. Um, and, you know, I, if you look at, you know, Section 230, which the previous gentleman was speaking about, um, it protects these companies against legal liability. but. It's clear the policy needs to evolve because of the the level of harm that's being done. Look at elections. Look at genocide that's happened. Um, public health crises. Government insurrection. Um, these are all issues that rise to a level that government regulation is needed. And we know how difficult it is in this country to get bipartisan support. Um, but really, that's what's needed. Natasha, dig in there. Because this is so nuanced, this argument. You want it to evolve. Is the regulation, do you have confidence that the regulators get the need to protect certain elements, perhaps that companies might argue, for their own self-moderation so that 230 can evolve in the right ways, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair point. Policymakers are policymakers, and um, you know, they're they're not tech experts. And this space has evolved so much over the last decade that regulators are looking to catch up. That that I think is why it's. Oh dear, we've just had another Thank technical you. glitch. Are you still there, Natasha? I think we might have lost her, Caro, which is a shame because you know. Her, her point is 
something has to happen. Mm. And she's citing the recent references of President Biden addressing this last night. The point I was trying to make to her is we've heard President Biden say that before in previous speeches. It's sort of not new territory. Mm. Um, what I would have asked her is just because Twitter is now private and just because it's owned by Elon Musk, does that add more impetus or more energy from lawmakers to do something or regulators to do something? It's hard to say. Yeah, and in many ways, Europe is worried by the fact that this is now a privately held company. They've been yeah. flagging ever since he took the company private that they want to see the right commitments put in place to tackle things of disinformation. I hate to say it as a Brit, but time and time yes. again, it feels like Europe leads the charge. And actually, you know, the, Britain doesn't have much to do with some of the European regulation that's now coming into place. But ultimately, Europe does seem to be able to get the right regulation in place in many ways, or at least drive it forward. And it often leaves right. the US playing catch up in some way. Well, what is it that Europe said? Elon Musk and Twitter will fly by our rules, which I thought was a very quick and witty uh, poke. Mm. And, and we know that Elon Musk has been talking to Europe. It's one we'll continue to track. Now, coming up, unfortunately, more job cuts underway with Deliveroo slashing 9% of its staff. We'll get more of the details in Talking Tech. That's next. Karen. And let's have a quick look at another after-hours mover because there have been plenty after this earnings coming thick and fast. Actually, Expedia managing to bounce off of its lows. We're currently off by only 2% now. It had slumped more than 7% at one point. All of this regarding the online travel agency. Yes, they missed estimates in terms of the holiday sales, but a lot of that to do with weather. So some analysts out there saying, look, actually, this was a miss, but there were temporary reasons behind it related to some poor weather and demand remains robust. More to come in terms of the earnings front. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Time now for Talking Tech. First up, Apple hiring its first chief people officer and removing HR responsibilities from its head of retail, overhauling the way the company hires and supports employees. In a memo to employees, Tim Cook announced Carol Surface will assume the role and said, quote, she brings an incredible depth of experience. Microsoft will begin color coding employees' expense reports as part of a new agreement with American Express. This comes as the tech giant already announced it's slashing thousands of jobs. The company will integrate the technology into its internal expense system later this year with employees uploading photos of receipts, which will be coded as green if automatic approval is recommended, yellow if it needs another look, or red, Caroline, if it should be Uh denied. Uh Uh-oh. And Deliveroo, the latest company, unfortunately, to announce job cuts. The food delivery business will slash 350 jobs, focusing, of course, on profits and a way to deal with what is difficult consumer environments right now. CEO Will Shu said the cuts will affect roles at all levels, although some employees will be redeployed. Caroline. Certainly a company that has been used a lot in London over the years, so you and I know it. We are going to take a really hard look at the cost for everything that we make, both across television and film. Uh, because things in in a very competitive world have just simply gotten more expensive. Uh, And that's something that is uh, already underway here. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And, well, Disney CEO Bob Iger there speaking on the company's earnings call that was about 24 hours ago, Ed. What a lot has changed in those 24 hours, it feels like. Yeah, it's all about restructuring. And, you know, the bigger news probably that pelts has pulled back. This activist investor stepping away from ambition to take a board seat, push for change at Disney, because change is what we got. The statement, short and sweet, the proxy fight is over. This is a win for all shareholders. And the question we've been asking for 24 hours or so is what placated pelts? I've got this terminal chart that kind of tells the story and the challenge for Iger. They're targeting $5.5 billion of cost savings, right? You look at the the white line, which is uh, the top line, essentially. Revenues at record levels, but sales slowing. Then you go down to net income and operating profit or net profit down the bottom. We're still at half where we were from the pandemic peak. And that really seems to be what Iger's going after. And it also seems to be enough to cheer investors. So let's get more on that and bring in Bloomberg's entertainment editor out in our L.A., Chris Palmieri. Same question to you, Chris. What placated pelts? Uh, Well, you could see a lot of reasons for this. You know, uh, despite his reputation, uh, Triumph Partners, since its founding in 2005, they don't, this was only their fourth proxy fight out of like 30 times they've engaged these companies. You know, this isn't something they really want to do. They prefer to just sort of negotiate an appearance on the board. And uh, it's expensive. I think they've spent 25 million fighting a Procter & Gamble proxy fight. So that's number one. Number two is Iger addressed a lot of the things that Nelson Peltz was complaining about on the call yesterday. Cost cutting said the board would consider reinstating the dividend. Already, the stock's up quite a bit this year since Nelson Pelt started buying, so he's sitting on a nice gain. Mm. So I, I think all of those factors, and just maybe the fear of losing, if, if it came down to that in a vote in April, made him uh, rethink. Interesting. Talk to us, therefore, also the enthusiasm perhaps being served up 
around the restructuring. But ultimately, previous activist investors, I'm thinking of Dan Loeb, had wanted to see the spin-off of ESPN. That, that, a lot of talk around that after this restructuring, the fact that it's now standalone. But actually, we all started talking about Hulu as well after today. Right. I mean, so Bob Iger said on a call yesterday that, yeah, they are, for the first time, really spelling out exactly how much money ESPN makes, which you could see as a sign is them prepping it for a spinoff. But he said that's not why they're doing it. But certainly it is going to allow investors to take a look at that piece of the business in a way that they haven't before. And, and so uh, on Hulu, he said this morning that um, you know he's in, he has a deal to buy the other third of it from Comcast next year, uh, but the price is not there's a floor price but not a specific price, and so both Comcast and he have said oh you know we're interested you know maybe we're not I mean I think there's a bit of gamesmanship going on here I think ultimately Bob Iger would like to own the rest of Hulu and incorporate it in the rest of Disney streaming businesses. What else would Bob like in terms of? how long he's going to be there, for example. Well, of course, you know, the perennial issue is who's going to replace him. And he's, he said he's going to stick around for just two more years. Uh, big uh, you know, announcements today in terms of the people running the major businesses. Uh, and so um, you know, that's going to be a focus of him and, and Mark Parker, the new chairman who takes over in April. Uh, and, uh, but you know, I think Bob, fundamentally, he'll say this, uh, he really cares about the creative. And he's admitted that um, animation at Disney needs a little work. He said they've you know, produced a little too much content. Uh, you know, Disney's always been kind of about, uh, you know, a few big, great movies and not, you know, everything everywhere, uh, <laughs> to quote another film. Uh, so, so I think creative is going to be a big focus. Hey, Chris, let's go back to basics to finish. What does the new look Disney look like, the three parts that it's being reformed into? Well, you're seeing the merger definitively of movies and TV. There's basically one division and, and streaming. So, so that's all becoming just basic general entertainment and family content. Then a separate sports streaming business and TV business. And then, of course, the parks and the cruise ships and the consumer products. So that's, it's pretty clearly defined, I think. Um, you know, maybe some people would like to see more, you know, the film business exists separately, but, you know, that's the direction it's going now. You know, theaters are less important than streaming. Chris Palmieri, it has been a busy 24 hours for you as well. We thank you so much for bringing us up to speed with all the ins and the outs of Disney versus no longer pelts, it would feel like. Meanwhile, another story that we continue to watch, it's been busy in crypto, Kraken will pay $30 million to settle SEC allegations that it broke US rules with its crypto asset staking products, and it will discontinue them in the United States as part of the agreement with the regulator. To break it all down, as she always does so well, Bloomberg's Shanali Basak is here with more. And was this ultimately a surprise for you? Uh, I don't think it was. However, it is a really, really big deal. We knew that staking was one of the things that the SEC would ultimately look at when they looked at the broader crypto ecosystem. But in all the things that they were looking at, when you think about other forms of tokenization, NFTs, the fact that staking has really made its way up on the list of things the SEC is looking at is a surprise. Now, the $30 million, not a, it's not a small sum, but it's not you know a, a, a sum that would really break the bank here for many of these companies, but it's all about future activity. You had this thread yesterday from the CEO of Coinbase on Twitter really talking 
talking about how staking is such an important innovation for crypto, allowing scalability, increased security, reduced carbon footprints for the industry. And you saw that as a lot of the rationale for the reason of Ethereum really moving to the proof of stake model to begin with. Yes. So yes. this is a big deal for Ethereum. It's a big deal for the exchanges that have been offering staking as a service. Coinbase, by the way, the sh uh, shares were down more than 14% on the day because of how much they've been moving to these uh, services for clients. In the most recent quarter, they had talked about how investing in staking as a service had uh, been really benefiting them since 2019. And when users move from trading to non-trading transactions like staking, it really helped boost their subscription and services revenue. So let's see what they have to say at the end of the month when they report earnings, mm -hmm. because as a public company, you see it most directly yeah. in results like that. For full disclosure, my husband's a senior manager over at Coinbase, but ultimately, with how big a deal is staking for the ecosystem more generally, and and does this signal that the SEC could get its head around it in a different format, and just Kraken wasn't there in the right way at the right means, or is this sort of dead in the water as many would fear now? Listen, the, the statement from the SEC Chair Gary Gansler in this Kraken's uh, settlement, if you will, had a very broad statement. It was whether it's staking as a service, lending or other means, crypto intermediaries, when they're offering investment contracts in exchange for investors' token, need to provide proper disclosures and safeguards required by our securities law. So he's bringing in the staking business under the securities umbrella. Remember, Hester Peirce, a commissioner, had also said that she really disputes what happened here today mm -hmm. because there should have been better guidelines from the beginning. And by the way, that has been the industry kind of calling cry, isn't it? Exactly. Set the guidelines first and then let us follow them rather than finding us for not following guidelines that we have not set. Excuse me if I'm like going outside of your field of purview, but I feel like you cover it all. What are the rest of the world thinking about staking ultimately? You know, I think if you're an individual investor and you are into crypto and want to be more engaged, it is a kind of difficult calculation here because it, moving from mining to staking, in theory, staking should have been allowing more people to get in at scale, especially if you work through a service like Coinbase or Kraken or some of these other services that allow staking at scale for a more wide range of investors. Did FTX? Well, that's the thing. So we were talking about this in the commercial break. And it, interestingly, according to my sources, FTX at, in the U.S., as they were considering the businesses when they were still, you know, a, a proper business before the bankruptcy and before these allegations, yeah. they uh, had not offered staking, from my yeah. knowledge, because they were worried about the SEC coming down on it. So it's hard to say that the industry didn't know that this was going to be an issue at some point. And now it clearly is. Shanali Basak, we thank you so much. Meanwhile, Ed, you got some more? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to what's next. $2 billion loan commitment from the White House to produce a million EVs a year. Redwood Materials CEO and, of course, one of Tesla's co-founders, J.B. Strubble, joins us next for more on that loan, which was the same program, by the way, Caro, that helped launch Tesla all those year, years ago. Look, we've got to get back to Lyft. Declines accelerating in after hours towards the 30% mark and deeper at some point. Headlines crossing from the call. Lyft cut prices for rides in January to, quote, remain competitive. They're going to go deep into co co cost cuts in 2024. Uh, they're going to reduce stock-based compensation. This does not look get good, Caroline, and clearly the share reaction in After Hours speaks to that. We'll keep tracking more details. This is Bloomberg.
What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. America's battery supply chain is getting a bit of a jump start. Redwood Materials, which was created by Tesla co-founder J.B. Straubel, received a $2 billion loan commitment from the Biden administration to build enough critical battery components to produce a million EVs a year. I'm pleased to say that J.B. Straubel joins us now. Uh, J.B., we were talking in the, the preamble about how back in the day, Tesla went through down a similar path, but this is a fair chunk of change more. My colleagues have written so much, including Gabby Coppler, about the supply chain emphasis here in the United States. What are you going to do with $2 billion? Give me the gritty details of what that does for Redwood Materials. Well, this, this is a huge vote of confidence, I'd say, into the American supply chain and building the supply chain here, expanding the capacity of it here. Um, you know, it is a very capital-intensive industry. And, you know, even though this is a, a vast, you know, amount, a large sum of money, um, this is not funding the entire project. You know, we have to match that project with private uh, capital, private equity that, that we raise and invest. And, you know, even even with this large of a project, you know, we're still only meeting a relatively small percentage of the, the overall U.S. demand for battery materials. So it, it, is, uh, it is quite phenomenal how much uh, growth has to happen yes. into the future and how much investment has to happen. JB, you alluded to it, so I'll go there. Uh, $2 billion, a lot of money, but will you have to raise more funds and how will you go about doing that? We, we have raised a lot of private funding in the past through the history of, of our company and uh, will continue to. Um, you know, it, it, it does make it easier as we see this strong support and these strong indications of support from the federal government really for the first time in this sector. I mean, this, this is the very first federal funding that we've received um, of any sort. 
And uh, I believe some of the first federal funding that's that's going into the battery supply chain at this magnitude. So while we will raise additional private capital and you know uh, continue doing that in in, yeah. in turn, um, you know it'll it'll match with this and, and join with uh, federal uh, loans as well. Talk to us about the politicization to a certain extent of the federal loans, but ultimately people worry about not just how much due diligence is done in the companies that ultimately get the funding, previous uh, issues have been in the prior noughties, but talk to us about China as well. Is there reality to some of the concerns, particularly by the GOP, about that this gives in some way China access to such money? Well, I, I can definitely say firsthand that there is extensive diligence that goes into these programs. You know, we've been working on this this particular loan application for well over a year, almost a year and a half. Um, you know, and going through uh, multiple layers of diligence on finance, on technology, on market, uh, and customer uh, you know fit. So um, I, I feel that there is quite a robust process that mm -hmm. the the Department of Energy and the loan program has, has rolled out for this. And it's been refined over many years, as you you mentioned. Um, you know, even more than ten years ago, this same exact program uh, was still in existence and was, was making loans to to companies that that targeted specific, very strategic areas for the country. Yeah, Solyndra, of course, is kind of the, the prior concern that some have. But give us the real concerns now in terms of a focus on a supply chain that people want to bring to the United States, that you're trying to answer that call of. And ultimately, whether we can ramp up the amount of EVs made while cutting out China from the supply chain. Well, I, I think it, it, it's going to be a transition. And, uh, you know, today, the, the vast majority of the battery supply chain is imported from overseas and much of that from China. So I, I think, um, you know, the key is to have is an organized transition and to start investing today in building this capability. But we can't turn it on overnight, even you know, with all of the efforts we're doing and, and more. Uh, this will take you know, several years, many years to, to ramp and, and build that, uh, that supply chain and capability here. Um, but this is a, a huge economic incentive for the country. There are right. many, many billions of dollars uh, that would be exported overseas uh, to build the same supply chain uh, if we don't begin uh, the work now. Uh, JB, you talked about many years of planning. March the 1st, we get Master Plan Part 3 from your friend and former colleague Elon Musk. Actually, is he a current colleague? Is Tesla a customer of Redwood Materials? Well, we, we don't have any partnership with Tesla that I can talk about today, but um, but I would say you know Elon is very much a friend. I'm still rooting for Tesla. Um, I think it's a fabulous company, and you know they've clearly been the leader in this entire movement, uh, and, and really remain so. All right, JB Strawble, Redwoods Material founder and CEO. When Tesla is officially a customer, come back on the show with Caroline and I and talk about how that's going to work. Okay. Fair enough. As the generative AI race heats up, we all talk about it, the impact on a company's share price 
starting to be pretty significant. Take Google, for example. Parent is, of course, Alphabet. It saw $100 million wiped from its market capitalization after unveiling its barred AI technology that faced questions over accuracy. That's far bigger than the 2.8% drop on the day after Alphabet's earnings missed estimates. So clearly the impact there, we're seeing remarkable moves in some of the AI link tickers and names that we've seen. C3 AI, Big Bear is another one AI. Keep a clean eye on these sorts of companies. But let's stick with the overall artificial intelligence theme because Trip Actions is a name you used to know. It's a business travel software startup. It plans to integrate OpenAI's chat GPT capabilities across its online platform, an effort aimed at seizing market share by making expense reports easier to use. This is part of a move. The company's also rebranding. It's changing its name, Navan. Joining us now is Ariel Cohen, Navan CEO, co-founder. Talk to us about the rebrand, but ultimately talk to us about how important it is for B2B, for enterprise companies and software companies to integrate ChatGPT. What lift does it give your business? Yeah, first of all, I'm very happy uh, to be here and uh, share with you our new brand and our new kind of uh, everything that we do. And it's all kind of designed uh, to support in one side the company and all of the needs of the company, policy, safety, saving costs, which is very important in recession. But on the other side, supporting the employees, really making them part of this journey. And ChatGPT or AI is actually, it was always an integral part of our uh, solution for seven years and really making sure that the employees can book stuff super, super fast, uh, expense things uh, extremely fast. And the recent addition takes it to the next level. Um, I can give you some examples of how much it is uh, becoming more and more powerful for our users and for everybody well, there. I, I promise we'll get to the examples. I, I really want to know what it's like doing a transaction with OpenAI. We talk yeah. about them every day. Mm-hmm. Closed profit business. Everyone wants to get access to the underlying algorithms. You've had access for a little while. Do they charge you a lot? What's the business relationship? Was this the best deal you've ever done in your career? <laughs> no, right now it's a, it's a, it's actually a services business, very, very similar to what you get with AWS and, a, and a, the stuff like that. Uh, but we're at the beginning, so we need to see how the uh, inputs and outputs uh, of data uh, will work. So we still don't know, and I think that they still don't know. We are learning it together. Okay, so we described what you offer at the beginning yeah. of this segment respectfully. You know, it's a very business transactional heavy yeah. service, but how has the underlying tech improved your offering? Yeah, so we always had a chatbot that you can actually ask that bot to uh, book your trip, your entire trip. Uh, if you'd ask that before we integrated OpenAI, if you uh, want to book uh, an hotel in, in, in New York, you'll ask to book the Westin and it will ask you, what do you want me to book? Now it will actually know the Westin and it will ask you in what dates do you want uh, to book it? So context matters a lot. And this is really what this integration gives us, a lot of context. Ultimately, does it set you apart from your competitors? How big a moat do you think you can build by integrating ChatGPT if others can license this sort of productivity software and and chatbot? Yeah, the first motive was actually to move business travel and expense management to be an online process because our competitors are basically, you still call an agent, right? And we've moved it to online seven years ago. And now we are taking it to the next level by really riding on the, the right. capabilities of online. 
what's the risk? What happens if your chatbot says something that is not true or inaccurate or causes a customer to do something they didn't want to do? Yeah, we are playing a lot with this and like any technology, it definitely has its uh, limitation. So uh, we actually like anything that you implement, uh, we know its limitations. We know when we need to kick off an agent, a real agent that will actually intervene and do the right thing there. Really interesting. Thank you for sharing us the journey and also the rebrand. Ariel Cohen, Navan, CEO and co-founder. Now, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Do not forget to tune in tomorrow. Bloomberg Technology's got a special Twitter spaces too. So before you get this joyous show, Ed, they come and join us at 12 o'clock New yeah. York time. It's 9 a.m. in your time for a Twitter spaces conversation. Yeah, I'm going to do what I do every week. We have a special guest and I'm not going to tell you who it is, mm. but I will say... It's this person's birthday. They've been on the show this week and they've got a really important story to talk about. Yeah, and there's also so many important stories to get up close and personal with some of our on-the-ground reporters. So we're going to have the main key stories takeaway and just the inside track on what these reporters are hearing, seeing, feeling, and ultimately how they break the stories, Ed. Yeah, and I think what I'm most excited about is it's not just earnings, continuing to drive markets, individual headlines, and artificial intelligence, such a big part of that, Caro. And what's important is that this is a two-way street. Get to ask your questions directly within the Twitter spaces. Come join us. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.